You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe Song from our monthly topical study. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. We're taking a little pause on the book of Matthew that we've been walking through for the last couple of weeks, and uh, we, we've been just focusing on this one topic, this one area of, of, of sex and relationships and what the Bible says about it. So if, uh, if you didn't know that's what we're talking about, welcome. Uh, so like the, the talk last week, we, uh, I'll kind of summarize what we talked about last week and then launch into what we're going to talk about this week. Last week, I basically just laid out God's standards for sexual relations, all right, for sexuality, for sex, what God's standards are for it. And surprise, surprise, God's standards for sex and and love and romance and relationship are different from our cultural standards for sex and relationship. I know, I know you're surprised, but it always is different. Here's the thing, the thing about we always, we grow up, everyone grows up in a certain culture and every culture has different standards for different things, right? But here's the thing. And so we grow up in, I don't know, the American culture of the 21st century, Western culture, whatever. And our standard for sex and for sexual relations um, is constantly changing. I mean, it's even different today than it was 10 years ago. And, and you know, 10 years ago from that, it's constantly moving and changing. And so we today, we think we understand the parameters for sex based on our cultural understanding of our music, of our, of our movies, of our TV shows, and, and then what our friends are talking about and what the internet says. And we're like, oh, I understand uh, you know, what to do when it comes to sex and relationships, right? Why would I look at a dusty old book written 2000 years ago about this stuff? But then if you look at our world, how are we doing in the area of sex and sexual relationships among people in the world? Right? Last week, we went over a couple different shocking but sadly true statistics. One out of every four women will, in their lifetime, will be sexually assaulted or abused. One out of every six men will be sexually assaulted and abused. We have over 45 million uh, reported uh, legal abortions in the United States since the 1970s. 45 million. That, that's staggering right? We have over 80 million people in the world. Today, 2019, we have over 80 million human beings who are sold into slavery, and uh, and 80% of those millions of people are somehow exploited for sex. There is something vastly wrong with sexuality in our world. When over four, when about 45% of marriage ends in divorce in our country. There's something wrong with the way we view relationships, right? I mean, I don't know. We can't just blindly follow the standards of our culture when it comes to some of these things. When you look at the state of our families, of our lives, of our friends, of our world, there is, sex is not just your own thing. It has ramifications because sex has to do with life. 
Last week we talked about how God created sex literally for the purpose of creating new life. Did you, you know, a lot of us don't even realize and will remember that sex originally is for the purpose of creating life and multiplying life in this world. That's what it's for. And therefore it is incredibly important and it's powerful and it's sacred because what could be more sacred than life itself, right? And that is what sex is for. And therefore, if something is that important and sacred and powerful, it needs to have parameters, right? The more powerful something is, the more we need to be careful about how we use those things, right? For example, if you want to close that door, um, for example, fire, right? The gift of fire is, a, is what enables humanity to be where it is. It's powerful. We need it. It gives us heat, warmth, illumination. We use it to, you know, create electricity, which literally we use for everything. Without harnessing the power and the gift of fire, we would not be where we are today. It is an incredible good for humanity. However, when you take fire outside of its proper context, when you take a fire out of its fireplace, it no longer heats the house. It burns the house down right? When we take something that is good and use it outside of its proper context, something that is good can become destructive. And that is the same when it comes to sex and sexual relationships. There was a design and a purpose that God had for sex. And when it is taken out of that context, it becomes no longer a life, a beautiful life-giving thing, but it becomes something that destroys I mean, I know there's so many of us even in this room that our most painful parts of our lives have something to do with this area. Some of our greatest regrets of our lives or some of the greatest scars emotionally or physically come from the area of sexuality because of someone else's sexual sin or because of our own. And what we talked about last week was that God's context, His parameters for sex is inside of a biblical marriage. And what the Bible describes as a marriage that God has created is between one man and one woman for their entire lives. And inside of this sacred covenant between one man and one woman for the rest of their lives can life and intimacy and joy be enjoyed. And sex is given to that institution for the binding of these two individuals to become one, to share not only their bodies, but every part of who they are. That's why sex is not just a physical thing. That's why when people have sex and then they break up, there's not just like, a, okay, we'll see you later. There is like a heart-wrenching rip that happens and you people are never left the same. Because when people have sex, there's something more than just physical that happens because that's how God designed sex to be. It's supposed to be something that binds two individuals to become one that is not meant to part again. That's what we talked about. And anything outside of God's parameters for this most sacred of gifts is what the Bible calls sexual immorality. It's called sin. And sin breaks our relationship with God. It's just like, I mean, and you're like, why would it do that? Well, here's the thing. When anyone sins against you, it breaks your relationship with them, right? Let's say you met up with a friend and you asked your friend to do something for you that was really important. You're like, yo, dude, can you like do this thing for me? I really need you to do it. Like, it's, it's really important. They're like, yeah, I'll do it, man. You're my friend. I'm going to do this for you. And then you meet up. You're like, hey, did you do the thing? And they're like, no. 
I didn't do the thing. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, it's really important. Like, can you, you said you'd do it. Can you, can you do it for me? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, don't worry, man. I'm going to do it. And then you meet up again, like, oh, like a week later, you're like, hey, how's it going, man? How's it going? Did you do the thing? And they're like, oh, no, I totally forgot and do the thing. Right? Suddenly, there's something. There's a brokenness in that relationship, isn't there? Because you at, they said they're going to do something that you asked them to do and they didn't do it. Right? Just like that. And then suddenly, like, your relationship starts to break and there's a rift. Something has separated you from the fullness of that relationship. That's what sin does to us and God. When we sin, that it, it, starts to, it, it separates us from God. And, and so any sin, not just sexual sin, but any sin does that. But this sin is, 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 does, the, does the same. And so last week we talked about that. God's standards for sex and for relationships is within the context of biblical marriage. And I'm saying biblical marriage because, yeah, there is legal marriage that our government, that governments recognize. And governments can call whatever they want marriage. It doesn't really matter. But I'm saying for Christians, I'm talking about biblical marriage that Christians recognize, right? But, and so... Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. So now, so now that we define what sexual immorality, what Christians define as sexual sin is any sort of sexual act or deed or thought outside of marriage. But now the thing is that we know what it is. Now what do we do about it? We didn't have enough time to talk about it last week. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What do we do? How do we deal with sexual sin, sexual immorality in our lives? Because all of us, or a lot of us, deal with this in some sort of way because every single person was made a sexual creature, all right? So every, no, okay, I'm like, everyone raise your hand and say, I'm, and I'm like, we all are. Everyone is born, um, you know, as a sexual being because we are all born in the image of God and it's something that God created. And so we all deal with this and we all have sexual desires. And that's not a bad thing. Like, thank God we have sexual desires. Because then, like, the human race wouldn't exist if we didn't have sexual desires. Because nobody would have children if we didn't have sexual desires. Because having children is the worst, right? And, like, if we didn't have these incredibly strong sexual desires to drive us towards procreation, there would be no more humans, like, in one generation. We would just end right here. So God gave us desires and appetites that are good, but the thing is, we can't just rely on our desires in a fallen and broken world anymore, right? Because our world and our desires are kind of messed up because of sin. And you don't have to be a religious person to look at our world and say our world is, there's something wrong with our world, right? Let me take a really quick example. Your, your desire for food, that's a really important thing. Without the desire for food, you would die, Right? We all have hunger, and we have all the appetites, and we all desire food. But if you blindly follow your desire for food and just followed the craving and did not put any restrictions or any like restraint on your desire for food, you would die probably <laughs> like soon. Your body would no longer be healthy. Because we live in a world where our desire for our food and then what our world has created, like it doesn't, it no longer is good. Does that make sense? 
You see, when we, are, when we used to be like foragers and hunter-gatherers, right, our desire for super high-density caloric foods was really important because we didn't know when our next meal was going to happen. So we needed to like crave and look for like the highest fat, highest like sugary foods and like get that into us and shove our faces as much as we can before, you know, because we don't know when the next meal is going to come. And so that was a really important thing. That desire is there to help us to survive. But now, very soon, later we have developed into a world where we have no shortage of high calorie foods now but the desire is still there the desire which was good that was meant for our good to help us to survive now is working against us because now if we just follow blindly our desire for high calorie foods you will get a heart attack and die right and therefore, what do we do? We know when it comes to this area, we're really smart about it. What do we do? We put restrictions on our desires. We're like, and we call those diets, right? We go on diets. We wear Fitbits. We count our calories. We go, we pay and we go to the gym. We, you know, get accountability partners. We take pictures of ourselves and say before and after so people can look at us and t- show like what we're doing. And we do all of these things to keep our desires in check because we know in this area, if we just blindly follow after, our desires it's going to lead to an end that is not good right and no one says anything about that they're like oh no one says oh you it's bad you should you shouldn't deny your desire for for chocolate that's you know this is who you are just eat eat all these foods no like when someone says yo like i'm you know i'm 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 intermittent fasting i'm saying no to wheat i'm you know i'm going gluten free i'm going vegan free i know i really want meat but i'm not doing it because of all these things and you're like yo you're good for you good for you you're denying yourself you are being strong yeah like you're doing what's good for you and we like high five each other when it comes to that but when it comes to sexual desire we're the exact opposite we're like we say that uh, no you need to follow your sexual desires if you feel it in your heart if you feel that thing then it's okay you you need to go after that you should not then no one should tell you no right but we have to realize our sexual desires are also broken and we are in a broken world and you just know when we just follow blindly your sexual desires it will lead to destruction if your parents suddenly they're just blindly following their sexual desires and they're just like you know what i'm attracted to someone else and you know what no one can tell me no so i'm just gonna leave you'd be like but you made a promise to to mom or whatever, or if you're married and you'd be like, well, I just don't feel it with you anymore and I feel my sexual desire leading me to this person or that person, we would say, you need to, like, that's not right. And that's when it, it's, it's the same when it comes to God and his standards. We cannot just blindly follow our sexual desires. Though they are coming, originally they are good, but we live in a fallen world. And so how do we keep these desires and check and how do we live a holy life in a fallen world number one so that was all intro sorry there's just i've there's a lot to say what do we do with our sexual sins that are outside of marriage that we're dealing with what do we do with our addiction to pornography what do we do when we are struggling with premarital sex in our dating relationships What do we do with homosexuality? What do we do with these feelings that we have and these desires that we have that we can't seem to control that feel like they have control over us? Number one, you need to surrender. The first word is surrender. If you want to rid your life of sexual immorality and to live a godly life in this area of your life, you need to surrender your sexuality and your desires to Jesus. I know that sounds really weird, 
I give Jesus my sexuality, give him my sexual desires. I don't think he wants them. <laughs> like, if he knew what they were, like, he'd be like, no, nah, no thanks. Like, take it back. I don't want this. Right? Yeah, some of us are laughing because you know. You know what's there. God don't want this. Right? Here's the thing. God wants you. He wants all of you. He loves you. He doesn't just love a part of you. He doesn't love who you can be. He doesn't love who you promised to be. He loves who you are. All of you. He made you. He knew you before you were born. Your personality. All of you. He knows it. He knows you. He knows your mistakes. He knows your sins. He knows what you've done. He knows your deepest, darkest secrets and your deepest, darkest thoughts. He knows your evilest desires and he knows your deepest sexual desires. And guess what? He died for you anyways and he paid for your life with his blood on the cross because he loves you. He does. And when we follow Jesus, we are giving, we surrender our lives to him. We say, Jesus, take my life. And yes, that includes your sexual desires and your sexuality as well. You are giving it, you are surrendering it to Jesus when you become a Christian, right? When you become a Christian, it says, give, give your life to Jesus. That's it. We have to give it all of it. And that's where our battle with sexual immorality starts. It starts with surrender. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What that means is you need to surrender your whole life to me. You cannot overcome your sin to God until you've done that because you can't overcome your sin without the help of Jesus in your life. A lot of people are like, you know what? I'll become a Christian. I'll give my life to Jesus once I f fix myself. Then I'll give my life to Jesus. No, you can't. The whole point of being a Christian is realizing you can't fix yourself. You can't make yourself holy. You can't fix your problems. So you need Jesus. And so you surrender to him. Does that make sense? So you need to surrender your life, all of it, even this area. A lot of us, when we surrender our life to Jesus at church or at that, you know, at that like retreat, we were like, I'll give you my whole life. But you actually don't mean that. You're like, I'll give you some of my life, Jesus. You know, I'll give you my Sunday mornings. I'll give you some of my songs. But then there's some parts that we forget. And we're like, but you know what? My career goals, I'm not gonna give that to you, right? Or like, oh, like, yeah, who I like, I don't, I'm not gonna give that to you. My perfect idea of, uh, of this, I'm not gonna give that to you. But I'll give you other stuff, Jesus. It's like we're inviting Jesus. If our life was our house, it's like we invited Jesus into our house. We're like, Jesus, this is your house. And Jesus is like, great, this is my house. I'm going to start rearranging. And then he goes upstairs and he's like, let me rearrange. And then he like goes to this closet and you're like, wait, Jesus, I said you could have my house, but not this closet <laughs> because you can't open this door. That's my secret stuff, <laughs> right? I, that's my... I don't want you to look away. You don't, you don't want to open this door. Jesus is like, but this is my, you, gave your, you gave this house to me. It belongs to me. I'm going to go in there. And I, I already know what's in there anyways. Like I knew what was going to in there before when I said, you know, when I accepted you. So just open the door. And you're like, no, right? That's kind of what we're like in this area of sexuality. We like give our lives to Jesus. But then when it comes to sin and our sexuality and our sexual temptations and all that stuff, we get all weird about Jesus. We're like, wait, no, not this. He wants to be the king of your entire life. We need to surrender this area and then let him into this part of your life. Surrender your desires to God. 
Trust that he knows what you need more than you, more than this world, and let him in. And let the Holy Spirit come in into this area of yourself, of your life, and submit it fully to the Lordship of Jesus. You could trust him. I know it sounds crazy, but you can trust God with your sexual desires and your sexuality and trust that he, like even though you're like, I don't know what he can do. I don't know if he, like God knows how messed up you are. He knows how messed up your sexual desires are. But he still loves you and he has the power to take that and to restore, to purify, and to make it new. I know it's impo- it sounds impossible, but God is the God who does the impossible things. Amen? And so number one, surrender all of yourself to Jesus. Every part. And if you haven't done that, if you're sitting in this room and you haven't s- surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, He is waiting for you. He died on the cross and He wants, He gave His life to you so that you can be forgiven And now he's saying, now follow me, surrender, let go of your idea of life and follow and trust me, trust that I have eternal life waiting for you. Give him every part of your life. Number two, once if you surrendered your life to Jesus, even the area of sex and sexuality and relationships and romance, once you've given that and you're like, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to do this your way, God. I know your way sounds a little crazy. Your way sounds like way different than what my friends are saying, way different than all the songs are saying about what love is supposed to be, but your way sounds like really boring, honestly. It's like, just wait till marriage. Like, man, that, I don't know, that doesn't sound like fun, but you know what? I'm going to trust you because you're like God and I'm not. So um, I'm just going to surrender that to you. Number two, reveal, reveal this your sexual sins, okay? You're like, what? (laughs) Like, what does that mean? Reveal to God. Confess your sexual immorality to the Lord. It says says this in uh, Ephesians, uh, or it says this in Ephesians chapter five, verse eight to 14. It says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 10 says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for the shameful. It is shameful to even speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. What we do, once you're a Christian, you do not have to hide your sin anymore. You do not have to live in shame anymore. You don't have to live like being terrified that people are going to find out about all the bad things that you've done because we've been forgiven by Jesus and we believe that we've been cleansed by his blood. That's what this communion is supposed to remind us of. You're clean. You've been forgiven. God has paid for all your sins by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. So therefore, you and I no longer have to carry guilt and shame anymore. Your past, your sins do not define you. They are not you. They are not your identity anymore. So therefore, we have the freedom to not hide them anymore. We don't have to hide our weaknesses. We don't have to hide our shame before God or before anyone because our sins no longer define us. So we are free, free to confess our sins to God and to even confess our sins to other people. Christians, we have to admit 
the sins in our lives to God and to one another. Christian people are supposed to live lives of transparency. Don't pretend like you don't struggle with things. Don't pretend like you have it all together. You need to let light and truth, you need to not let your sins stay secret. Secret sins, I don't know, there's like a, I forgot what it was. But anyways, like secrecy strengthens the power of sin in our lives, right? And sin starts to lose its grip when we expose it to the light of God's truth. And so we do that, number one, by starting, by confessing your sins to God. If you realize that you've been, that, you know, this area of sexuality has been outside of what God wants it to be, then confess to God. Pray, ask for forgiveness, and, and, and name your sins out loud. I dare you. You know, some of us, when we confess, it's always silent because when you say it out loud, it sounds really bad, you know? Well, it's okay. Say it out loud and, and, and confess it to the Lord. In John chapter 1, or 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's some of you in this room that think, Oh, God can cleanse most unrighteousness, but my sins are like extra bad. So he can't cleanse mine. He might be able to cleanse that guy over there, but because he looked like he didn't do that that much stuff in this area. But me, you don't know what I've done. <laughs> like he can't cleanse my sins. No, it's just all unrighteousness. So confess to the Lord. Not just the sin, the, the behavior and the act of sin, but also, also the motivation behind some of our sexual sins. Some of us, like it's like not only if you're addicted to pornography, then yeah, confess your sin of pornography. But then also confess, I don't know, the heart behind it, the unbelief behind it. Like, Lord, I confess that, but I also, I want to confess that I don't believe that, that you're enough for me. And that's why I keep turning to pornography because I don't believe that abstaining from these desires and following your way is actually going to satisfy me. And I... I don't know, God, it's really hard for me to believe that, but I want to repent of this belief. Help me to believe that you're enough, right? Don't just, you know, repent of the sin of premarital sex, but then also what's behind it? Be like, God, I honestly, I don't know, God. I believe that if I hold off until I get married and I don't, then I'm not, I'm not actually going to be happy, that I'll miss out on something. I don't believe that following your way will ultimately lead me to satisfaction, if that's what you're believing, then you need to repent of that as well. And then take a leap of faith. If you truly believe that you're forgiven by God and after you confess your sins, even in this area or any area that God forgives you, then I want to tell you to share your sins, reveal your sins to a spiritually mature brother or sister in Christ. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let me tell you guys, brothers and sisters, the sin of sexual immorality is hard. We need the prayers of others around us. You can't just overcome it by yourself. That's why we're given a community that we can share our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses so that we can pray for each other. If you truly believe that you've been forgiven by God for your sins, then you shouldn't be afraid to share your sins with other fellow Christians. Now, I'm not saying just go around and just tell everybody your stuff, all right? 
There are some people that God has placed into your life that you can trust, that love you and love the Lord, that you can share and who will pray for you in this area, in this fight, in this struggle. I remember when I was in high school, I had, or no, this is college, one of the most important and most awkward conversations I had was with my dad in this area. I remember we were driving in the car. It was winter. I remember it so vividly because it was so awkward. All right? I'm sitting there. My dad's a pastor, and I'm his pastor's son. I lead Bible studies and stuff. And there was like some sexual sin in my life that I never confessed. And I'm like, Dad, this is like in between, this is like Korean English, you know. I, like, I don't even know how to say sexual immorality in Korean. Like sexual immorality. You know, like I don't know how I, I don't even know the word for it, you know. But I, I just tell I like in my broken Korean slash English, I like, I just, I confessed, Dad, this is what I'm struggling with. And I was like, it was so awkward. I mean, we never talk about anything like this. And then he looks to me, pull, you know, where he's driving around a stoplight. He like looks over and he's like, son, like, I love you. And I'm like, oh, you know, as like a Korean son, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is like, you know, and, and, then, and then he looks at me and he says, now don't tell anybody else, <laughs> you know? Now, okay, I don't know about that last part, but like, I don't know, like that once I like I started to share my struggle with my dad, you know, who was a brother in Christ, I know he was praying, he started praying for me in his own prayers, specifically for me, right? And even today, like, if I struggle in this area of sexual immorality in my thoughts or my actions or whatever, you know who the first person I tell is? God. But then you know who the next person I tell is? My wife. And as painful as it is, and as much as it's, it hurts, I t- it's like one of our, it's one of my rules. I, ha- we have to, I have to tell her as soon as possible. And the sooner I tell her, the faster she is able to forgive me and start to pray over this sin in my life. And we are able to fight together. And the grace of God is able to flow in its fullness when sin is not hidden, but it is exposed and sin dies in the light of God's mercy and truth. Amen. I believe that. And the longer we keep things hidden from God and from each other, the more we give it control over our lives. And so some of you guys in this room, you need to, there are some things or sins you've never admitted or even spoke out loud that are there. You need some unconfessed sin. You need to confess. You need to trust in the blood of Jesus. You need to trust that God is not going to reject you and that you are not going to be rejected for these things. But trust in his forgiveness and his blood and confess to the Lord and then trust in the body of Christ so that we can pray for healing and to overcome in this area. So surrender, reveal, so that we can live in freedom. And then finally, resist, fight. You just need to straight up fight some of these sexual desires. All right? And here's the beauty of this. It's because we can Yes, before you, before you were a Christian, we were slaves to our desires. Whatever you wanted, you just, you just did. You had no choice. You had sexual desires and temptations. You just had to, you, just, you know, there's no fight. Se- temptations would come and you just lay down. Like, just take me. <laughs> like, there's no fight. We had no power. We were powerless 
to fight against our, our sin and our desires. But once we became followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within us and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is able to purify us and give us the power to say no, to resist, to fight. He puts the sword of the Spirit in our hand and he makes us into warriors. I know you don't feel like a warrior, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a, you're a warrior. You're a mighty warrior in Jesus' name. And you are able to fight, you're able to flee, you're able to resist the enemy. James chapter 4 verse 7 said, submit yourselves to God. And so once you've submitted yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We can overcome sexual sin and desire because it is not our master. We are not controlled by our desires. We have a new master. His name is Jesus Christ and he gives us the freedom and the power to choose. Like, remember, I said choose. Some of you are like, if I'm a Christian, how come I still sin? It's because you choose to sin still. You hear what I'm saying? You're free. Like, I thought I'd be free from sin. You are, but now you have the power to say no, but you maybe you just didn't realize it yet, but you do. So we are able to choose. We're able to resist. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, it says, flee from sexual immorality. For some of you, you guys just got to like flee, get away from some of the things that are tempting you, right? If some are, if like think about when you fall into sexual immorality or, or lustful thoughts or you fall in or you go too far with somebody, what, what, what situations are you in? Run from those situations, right? If you always fall when you're alone at night on your phone, then like move your phone outside your room or something, charge it in your parents' room, try to sin in there, all right? I don't know, do something, be smart. You guys are all smart. We need, if you, some, if you keep falling into the same thing over and over again, analyze the situation and remove the things, change the situation, change the game and try different things. Use, uh, get people to help you in this battle to resist, have accountability partner. Remember, once you get to share with people, now you can fight together. Be like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Do you have any ideas? Have you ever dealt with this? Like, I, I don't know. I really have a hard time controlling myself when I'm around her and then be like, dude, then, then, then stay away from her. It's like, oh, that's a good idea. I never thought about that. I should probably do that, right? Or something. Proverbs chapter five, verse eight says, this is talking about adultery and, and the spirit of sexual sin. It says, keep your way far from her, her being like the spirit of seduction. Do not go near the door of her house. That's how, that's the best way to, to deal with sexual sin. You guys just stay as far away from it as possible. I know a lot of couples who are dating, they, they'll ask me, they'll be like, Pastor Joe, how far can we go before it's like, you know, Sin, like how, how far are we allowed to go? How close can we get before it's like, you know, and it's still okay. I'm like, what you're doing right now is you're trying to get as close to the door as possible. You're not trying to get near it and put your ear next to it. You know, I'm like, bro, Proverbs says, stay as far away from things that will cause you to sin. Don't get as close to sin before sin. Just stay as far away from it as you can. So if you happen to be in a place where you realize you're going to get into a dating relationship or you are dating, then set boundaries that are going to be as far away from the sin of sexual immorality as you can. Right? Remember, we said, if you want to honor God in your relationship, then don't have sex with someone that you're not married with. And if you're dating, you're not married, so you shouldn't have sex. Then you should do things that don't lead to sex. There are lots of things that aren't sex, but lead to it very quickly or take, lead your mind into sexual thoughts of that person who you're not married to. You should probably avoid those things. But that's not fun. But if you don't marry that person, you'll be so glad 
You didn't give yourself away to a person that you are not going to be married to. Right? I'm saying, you got to be smart. Let's have wisdom. Even when you're dating someone and if you're believers, then have accountability. Set boundaries. And if you fall and mess up, then ask for forgiveness, reset the boundaries, and try something different, but keep on fighting. You can fight. You have the power to resist. And when we do, the devil will flee from you. Set boundaries. Do what you need to do to fight. Tell your parents. Get accountability. We have the power. We are not helpless slaves to sin. Amen? We are free in Jesus Christ, and we're given a choice in this area, even though the world might tell you not that you don't. Finally, and maybe most importantly, in the battle against sexual sin, is you gotta, so it's, I said you, you need to reveal, resist, and then you have to receive. Don't just push away sin, you need to receive God. Here's the thing, the, the best way to overcome a desire for something is to have a greater desire for something else right? If you are trying to get over someone you used to like, the fastest way to get over that person is to like someone way more, right? When you discover someone new, suddenly, like, you don't, you don't care about this other person that you, it was so hard to forget them. I'll never forget you. Suddenly someone else that you like more. Bye, right? We're like, right now we're like, sexual sin seems so appealing. It seems so seductive and it feels like there's no way we could ever just have a desire that is greater, Replace it with a desire that is better. And there is nothing greater than falling in love with God. And as your desire, instead of focusing on just fleeing from sexual sin, flee towards Jesus. Flee towards loving him more. Do everything that you know that will grow your desire and your love for God. And I guarantee, as a result, your desire for what is not of God will just start to diminish. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Yes, we're supposed to flee, but you're not just supposed to flee randomly because if we just spend, if your only strategy for battling sin and lust is just running away, you're going to get tired and the, and the sin will just catch you. All right, it's like a lion that can run faster than you. All right, if you just flee, it's, it's not going to, it's not, you have to flee towards the one who can like kill the lion. Right? So flee from it, but run towards the lion killer who is Jesus. Amen? So you need to spend your focus on pursuing a greater love for God. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, think of these things. We need to say no to our sexual desires, but we need to say yes to God and everything that is good that he has for us who are in Christ Jesus. There is a spiritual inheritance of so much glory and beauty and power and honor and praise that comes when we become followers of Christ that we need to start tapping into because when we just sit there and just try to not sin, we, and without replacing it with the goodness of God, we are going to fail. Let me tell you about the science of addiction. In 1970, a guy named Bruce Alexander, he did this experiment on rats where he took 
two uh, two waters, one that was laced with heroin and one that was just regular water. And he put a rat in a cage. And then what do you think happened? The rat obviously went to the heroin, got addicted to it, kept going after that heroin, kept drinking it until he overdosed and died every single time. Every rat, when you place the heroin and the, and the regular water, always they went and they overdosed and died. And they're like, wow, how do you break the power of addiction of heroin in this rat? And they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how they could keep a rat or to fix it or to stop it from killing itself with this addiction. Then they tried something new. They did the same thing, put a rat in a cage with heroin and the regular water, but then they made the cage way bigger and then turned it into a rat paradise, a little rat park. They built a lot of things for it to run around and to play with. They threw all these other rats for it to be friends with and like its family, they're all together and the rat was doing things and it had a job and you know, I don't know, it was just running around, living in rat paradise, doing rat things, doing things that a rat's supposed to do, right? With good food, healthy, had healthy relationships, had a good church, you know, like this rat had everything that a rat's supposed to do, okay? And guess what happened? None of the rats overdosed or got addicted to the heroin. They didn't even go after it or became dependent on it because they were too busy living out their rat purpose. They're too busy filling their life with the things that a rat is supposed to do that is actually good and wholesome, things that a, a rat, little heart, little soul desires, it doesn't actually desire heroin. It desires rat friendships, right? And a rat family and, and exercise and whatever it is the little rat's heart desires. And they gave it to the rat and the rat did, no longer needed to depend on this thing. Sexual sin and desire, is we were not meant for that. We were meant for proper, honoring, pure, committed relationships that are intimate and that are forever. That's what we are not meant for just a momentary fling. We are not meant for alone, isolated pleasure through a computer. We're looking at people that we have no connection with. We are not meant for little mini relationships where we give every part of yourself away without getting anything in return. We're not meant for those things. Yes, we desire it because our little human hearts desire connection and intimacy and love and honor and to be accepted and pleasure, and we want all these things. But here's the thing, we can find those things in Jesus. We can find those things in a relationship with God, and when we trust God, He will lead our lives to the fullness that we always needed, and then the desire for the, for the addictive imitation of real life and satisfaction will no longer have power over us anymore. We need to not just resist, but we need to replace our sexual desire and our sin with more of God. And when we, as we seek after Jesus, as we connect, as our hearts become more connected with our living God, then yeah, your battle, you'll start to realize that you have the power to overcome. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit of God. Don't you realize, guys, focus on God. Love Him. If, you, if you're struggling with sin, sexual sin or any sin that you're addicted to, yeah, avoid and resist and confess those things. But more, focus on taking in his word. Become more intimate with him. Spend more time in, in building a prayer life 
worship him. Take in content into your mind that makes you love God more. Listen to music that makes you think about God. Read books that magnify Jesus and increase your knowledge of him. Hang out with people who also make you love Jesus more. And as you start to love God more, as you start to receive more of the glory of God, you will be transformed and you will be changed. Even your desires will start to change. That were once nothing but for sinful things will start to desire and genuinely want the good and holy and honorable and beautiful things. It's just like when you start eating healthy. When you first start, I don't know if some of you might know, like when you only ate junk food, like you only wanted junk food. And then like the thought of healthy food was like disgusting to you. You're like, what? Kale? Like, no way. Quinoa, what is this nonsense? I, I, no way, right? Like just like a chicken breast with salt, like that's it? Like what the heck? And then it just tastes awful to you, right? But then any of you who know that you start going after good, healthy things, you start restricting the things that are bad and you start eating what's good, something weird starts happening to you after like week two or three. What starts happening to you? You start to develop an aversion to junk food. The food that you used to love and felt like you could never live without that Whopper Suddenly you think about eating three Whoppers like I used to, and then you're like, that, that's, that's kind of gross, right? Suddenly you start, when you go out and all your friends, you usually eat nothing but crap all weekend, suddenly you like desire a salad. You're like, oh, I would kill for some kale right now, or just something green. Like, you know, you start feeling gross. The sin, the bad food starts to repel you when you start to change your appetite and start to take in what is good. And, and it's the same. When we start to take in God, we start to lose our appetite for what is false and what is not good. Victory will come. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, He, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Jesus. Do you believe that? Come on. Jesus, who began a good work in you, will perfect it. You and I will be perfected. It's not a, if you're a Christian, it's not a matter of will we overcome sin? It's when, because we will, because Jesus said so. And his word is absolute. He answers every promise. He is faithful, even though we're not, he is. So I believe this, not because I think that I'm great and I can overcome all my sins. It's because he said so. And if you know that you're going to win the race before you, win the, before you run the race, then you can run the race with confidence, right? And with joy, being like, I'm going to win, right? But here's the thing, just because you know you're going to win the race, you still have to run the race. You know what I'm saying? People are like, wait, if I know that God is going to complete and give me the victory at the end, then why do I still have to fight my temptation and my sin? Why do I still have, why is it still so hard? Because you still have to go through it. The battle's still there, but you're going to win. So stop fighting like you're losing. Fight like you're going to win. Like there's like the Super Bowl tonight. And if Jesus showed up in the locker room of the Rams and Jesus told the Rams, listen, Rams, I'm Jesus. They're like, whoa. And then, you know, and Jesus is like, let me tell you, I, I came down for this one thing. You guys are going to win tonight. Absolutely. And then he did a miracle to prove them. Like he's like, and then boom, they're like, whoa, okay, we're, we're going to win. Those the Rams know they're going to win. They're going to have the victory. Jesus is going to grant it to them. They still have to play the game. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean they don't play. And they, and they play like they know they're going to win because they know they're going to win. And guess what? So they're having a good time. 
they're 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 not stressed. They are playing, and it's like they're having a great time because they know the victory is theirs because it was guaranteed by God. But they still got to fight and they still got to play. It's the same with us. I know Satan has been lying to a lot of us saying that you are weak, you are defeated. Every time you fail, you're never going to overcome this sin. You're never going to overcome pornography. You're never going to be able to be pure. You're already messed up. You already suck. All these things happen to you and you're already dirty and shameful. God doesn't love you and he's telling you all these things in Jesus' name right now. That's all lies from the devil. And the victory is ours. We will win. So keep fighting. Keep running. And don't run just away from sin, but run towards Jesus. And don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Just trust in Him and surrender. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you were blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.